For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Scripture today is um, Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have, we have all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We, fade, we all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider we are all your people. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we want to say out loud, as Heidi did already, that for many of us, the world is not as it, as it should be. Our lives are not as they should be. And we're feeling pretty desperate about a whole lot of things. So our prayer to you um, can be desperate. Please come. And even as we head into Advent, with this promise that you will come, for some of us, we have to be honest, as Heidi was, that we don't feel like that you will, or if, even if you do, that it'll make much difference. Nevertheless, we pray, Lord Jesus, come into our darkness, into our confusion, and bring light. And in saying that, we recognize that it's not in the saying of it that makes you come. It's your faithfulness. It's your steadfastness that makes you come. Amen. Well, Advent begins on the nearest Sunday to November 30th every year. And I know some of you were wondering why in the heck it didn't start on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, like it should. Because the rule is that it starts the Sunday that is closest to November 30th. So there you have it. Most of you didn't even care. I can, I can, <laughs> I can tell by the, oh, it, really? I didn't even notice. Um, November 30th is the Feast of St. Andrew, if you're keeping score at home. Advent ends at midnight on Christmas Eve, four Sundays. Advent means arrival. And it gives us the opportunity to practice waiting for the light of Christ coming into the dark places of our world and in our lives. And we say together at Genesis that during the season of Advent, we're enlarged in the waiting. 
our spirits, our souls, our persons become larger because we have to endure waiting. And the really interesting thing about Advent is that some of us are in that season right now of waiting. Like, you know what it's like. You know what you're waiting for. You can name what it is that you are longing to change or you're longing to have God change. You have a real specific thought on what that is. And others of you are really like, I don't even know how I can enter into Advent this year because life is pretty good. I mean, life is actually, I'm feeling good about life. Well, the season of Advent is there every calendar year because no matter what season you're currently in, you will experience Advent at some point. Amen? (laughs) I mean, that's a guarantee. And so it's a reminder yearly that the year, the spiritual year, starts in the dark. It starts with waiting. It starts with longing. It doesn't start with heroics and a big opening scene. It starts with longing and naming our desperate desires. So the verses that Abby just read in Isaiah are a prayer to God by God's people, by a group of people who at this time are in the middle of exile. So they're powerless, they're under oppression. So this prayer that Abby read expresses two main features of Advent hope. Number one, a deep sense of desperation about a situation that is out of control. Imagine what exile means is that the home that you have lived in and that your parents lived in and that your grandparents lived in and that their their parents lived in has been burned to the ground and you've been sent out of your home and you're never going to get back. That's what exile is. And you've been separated from loved ones. So when they pray the prayer, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, they're praying a really desperate prayer because life is really desperate. But the prayer also expresses another feature of Advent hope, and that's a bold and confident trust in the God that really is able to intervene. But the question is this, and this is an all play, if you are so bold to answer, are we naive to hope in 2017 that God will intervene in our world? Are we naive to hope that? And that's not a rhetorical question. Let's hear your answers. No, no. Doesn't matter, Bob? Whoa, the serenity of Bob Timperley. Serenity now. Say more. God's going to be here. Okay. God is always around me. It's not up to me to make it happen. I like that, Bob. Whoa. Thanks, Jenny. I think sometimes she said, God's intervention looks like another human being. In fact, God often shows up in the ordinary, which is really what the incarnation is all about. It's what the Eucharist is all about, right? We eat bread and drink wine or juice, and this is the ordinary thing, this visible thing that points to an invisible reality that we're longing for. 
Anyone else? Is, are we naive to hope that God might come into our world in 2017? Claire. So Claire said, it would be remiss of us to say that he is not already here, even though we thought 2016 was bad, and then 2017 came on its heels, and like, oh my goodness. Uh, but God has been here. And sometimes our memories are, are kind of short, right? Anyone else? All right, Charlie, that's good. Yes, he's going to intervene, but where will God intervene? Uh, will it be here in the States? Will it be elsewhere? Will it be everywhere? And there's this wrestling of, will God do what we're asking God to do? So if your answer was, yes, we are naive to hope, uh, that's an okay answer too. If you didn't have the courage to yell it out for fear of what your person sitting next to you might do or any thunderbolts or lightning bolts that might hit you. Um, what I'd like to do during this service or this sermon is just walk through, there's three movements in this text, in this prayer. There's three movements. And I think they offer us a, a way of praying through Advent. Uh, three movements. The first movement is desperation. The second movement is confession. And the third movement is intimacy. And we're going to walk through where the text goes with that. And I think that could be a way that we could all pray through Advent into whatever things that we are longing for. Uh, and maybe it's not, maybe if it's not your situation, maybe it is somewhere else. Maybe it's in Syria. Maybe it's in Israel-Palestine. Maybe it's um, with a loved one that is sick. Maybe it is yourself with a relational difficulty that you don't know how it's going to be fixed and you feel desperate, you feel out of control. Uh, I want to provide us a way as a community to pray through Advent together. So verses 1 through 4, we hear the desperation. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Sounds like a psalm, but it's an Isaiah. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to the adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. So that's a very Advent prayer, the first four verses. Now, here's a graduate-level question. This is like a doctorate-level question. This is post-doctorate level. This is like, you, I mean, this question is so hard that I don't expect anyone to have the answer to it. Uh, but here's the question. It's an all-play. Where else in the Scriptures have we seen fire being kindled, mountains quaking, and nations trembling? Because if we can find the answer to that question, we might get a sense of what Isaiah is trying to help the Israelites remember. 
Say it again. Mount Horeb. Also Mount Sinai. Sinai. So that is part of the answer. Jenny gets 50% right. It's not bad. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, you're, you've, you've been accepted into the doctoral program. <laughs> but if someone else can get the other part, I mean, then, then it's going to be like whew, rabbi points for forever. Like when you go to, uh, what's the chicken place where if you show up on the, on the day that, that it opens, then you get free chicken for a whole year. Yeah, Micah. Man, that is fire. You're totally right. And that is on the mountain. You're completely right. Um, and that could be another sermon, Micah. So I'm going to give you the free chicken for the year. Um, <laughs> it just wasn't what I thought about in my notes. So, but see, you know, we, we look at the diamond. There's 70, 70 facets. I mean, this, so that could be, so I'm going to invite you to do that uh, in the lobby for anyone who wants to, to hear <laughs> To hear Micah's sermon, it, which would be amazing. I've, I've, I've heard him teach. Um, where else has there been fire associated with Mount Sinai? <laughs> Who said that, Nick? Can't even see back there. Oh, Elliot, yeah. Yes, Moses in the burning bush, we see fire. Now, when Moses saw the burning bush and he saw that it didn't burn up, God said something to him about the children of Israel who were in a desperate place. What did God say to Moses at the burning bush? I have seen the misery of my people. In fact, I'll read it to you. Sorry, Micah, there's probably an even better sermon from uh, the Mount of Elijah. But then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. They were in slavery for 400 years. This is Exodus 3, 7, and 8. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So I think part of what Isaiah is trying to remind the Israelites that are in exile is there was another time when God heard their cries and when God did deliver them. And that was the time that they were enslaved for 400 years. But then where Mount Sinai comes into place, and Jenny was totally right, Exodus 19, 16 through 18, here we have the water and the fire. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain. And a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp, what? Trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln while the whole mountain shook violently. So Isaiah wants the people to remember that at the burning bush, the fire represented the God that heard their cries and that came down to rescue them. At Mount Sinai, what happened? When Moses went up and then he came back down, what did he come down carrying? The law, the Ten Commandments. What did the Ten Commandments 
um, represent from God to God's people. Covenant. Thank you, Katie. So God is saying to God's people through the Ten Commandments, not here are ten ways you can screw up so that I will punish you forever. It was, here are ten ways that you can live together in community and ten ways to remember that I am your God and I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what Mount Sinai is saying. So Isaiah, in this beautiful prayer, is saying these two realities, that God hears the cries of God's people when God's people are in distress, when life is crazy, when life is out of control, and when you can't handle it, and God will never leave God's people. No matter what God's people do, which is sort of what Bob was saying, no matter what God's people do, God is faithful and steadfast and will remember God's promises even when God's people don't. Amen? So Isaiah, to the people that are in exile, is issuing these two really, really important things to remember. It's like he's gathering the family around the family table and saying, you guys have forgotten a few things. Core to our history is the Exodus. God came down, and God not only came down, God delivered us, and God not only delivered us, but he made us a people, and God not only made us a people, but he became the God that would never leave us at Mount Sinai. So that, Isaiah is saying, is why you can have a bold and confident trust that God is able to intervene even in the deep sense of desperation about your situation that is out of control. So that should get a couple amens. So the model for Advent, this waiting and hoping for God's arrival, is grounded in the memory of Exodus and Sinai, that God hears God's people who are suffering. God comes down to deliver them, and God remembers God's covenant, and then God does something unexpected. And that's the grounding for Advent. Advent is grounded in the most quintessential story of the Israelite people, and we are invited into it. So in Advent, here's another all-play question. Where are we in the Exodus story when we enter Advent? We are in slavery. We are calling out for help. We are saying our lives are not as they should be, the world is not as it should be, and we need God to come again into our world. So questions for you. These are not all plays. They're too intimate for that. But what deep sense of desperation do you have where life seems out of control for you? And, um, you know, I'm looking around. I love that our community is the size that it is because it means I can know many of your stories. And I know many of your stories and I know what's happening in many of your lives. Some of you are, are, uh, have an illness in your own body right now and, it's, uh, and you're holding up and you, people are surrounding you that love you, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying to think of what will happen um, if 
what you fear happens. So that is Advent. And Advent is here as a community so that you can know that you're not alone. You might have a loved one that is suffering. Advent is a time to voice those concerns about that loved one because we remember that we have a God that hears our cries, that comes down, and that doesn't forget God's promises. Maybe it's your own... uh, your own sense of relational loneliness. Maybe it's a sense of, um, and my wife and I uh, um, experienced infertility for many, many years, and we hated Advent because it just reminded us there's all the babies all over the the screen, you know, like we went to church with screens, and there would always be the baby graphics because the baby Jesus was coming, and everyone had babies, and we just hated Advent because it was so hard. So hard for us. Uh, we were just telling some people the other day that um, Mary actually got to a point where she could no longer go to baby showers. Just couldn't do it. Um, that's Advent. I mean, that, whether you're in Advent or not, that's Advent. Maybe you're feeling a sense of desperation about the state of the world and all the division that we see. Um, we're worried about war and uh, there's these, all these stories are coming out of sexual assault and Me Too and Church Too, and there's just, it's just intense. And so maybe you're feeling the desperation of that. Uh, maybe there's an addiction. Maybe, maybe that thing that, that you actually had um, some, some power over now has power over you again. Or maybe that's your loved one that you're watching. That's Advent. And in Advent, we're invited, the first movement is to pray our desperate prayers with no edit button. Pray our desperate prayers. And we don't know if they'll be answered at this point. We just have to get them all out. For you, that might be journaling. I'm one of those people that, like, if I just sit down and try to pray with my voice, like, Lord, I, I just, I get, I get stuck. But if I get my keyboard out, I can really, I can let it rip. Um, and so that's what I do. For others of you, you have to say it to someone else. Like you have to say it to another human being. Uh, so I got a phone call this week from someone who needed to do that, you know, just needed to say it to a human being. And that's prayer. That's so good. So movement number one in praying through Advent, pray your desperate prayers. No edit. And if you feel like you can't quite get the words out, know that God knows your heart, even if you can't get those words out. So maybe you just, yeah, maybe all you can muster is, Lord, you know my pain. Here it is. So the second movement after desperation moves to confession, and this is interesting because the prayer changes tone. 
In verse five, we read, you meet those who gladly do right. That's interesting. What kind of prayer is that? You meet those who gladly do right. Doesn't that sound a little bit like <laughs> a little passive aggressive? Like, I know I'm not doing right, but you meet those who do right. So those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like the one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. Now it's just sounding dramatic. You know, it's like there is not one person on planet earth who calls your name. You've hidden your face from us. That sounds pretty honest. You've delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. And if you're hearing a little, like if you're feeling a little protest, like, hey, that's, you know, that's kind of intense to talk about yourself. Is that really even good to you know, say none of us are good? I just want to say there comes a moment in our place as a human being where we aren't enough, where we realize that. And it's not a moment of shame. It's a moment of freedom. Where he's like, I, 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 there is no one. When, when the writer says there's no one who calls on your name, really essentially what that writer is saying is, I have forgotten what it's even like to call out your name. I'm not even going to pretend that I do anymore. I don't know how to do it. I don't know whether it's worth it because I've, I've been hidden from you. And then also the layer number two is it really is true <laughs> that so many of us, like, if, you're, if you on any level are relying on your, you meet those who gladly do right, if that's the extent of your theology, God meets those who gladly does right. You're gonna be a lonely, angry, upset person. And you're not gonna be any fun to be around because <laughs> you're gonna have to prove to God and to everybody that you always do right. Instead, the writer is saying, why not take a page out of the psalmist and say, man, I, I, it, it is true. I am not enough on my own. And I, I, I have made many mistakes. So before we're delivered, we come, before we come face to face with God, we have to come face to face with our own sin, actually. And when we do, we understand how desperate the situation really is. One of my favorite preachers years and years and years ago had this phrase that he would say when he talked about sin. He said, when was the last time you got a whiff of your own depravity? And it's like, I never wanted him to say that. You know, it's like, do that sermon once a year, maybe. But when he said it, after I got over that first emotion, I was like, no, I actually need that question. When was the last time you got a whiff of your own inability to get it right and to please God? Like a whiff of it. Uh, Woo! Well, that's not, that's not pretty. So then you either hide or, you, like, the, like the writer does, Isaiah, he takes it to God and says, well, here it is. How do you like it? 
and God doesn't run away. In fact, that's the very thing that makes God go, okay, now we can talk because now we're being honest. So finally, we move to intimacy in this prayer. Like a lover, we whisper to God, verses eight and nine. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. You know, after all this confession, after all the desperation, Lord, you're not even like, I'm not even gonna say, oh, most holy God. I'm gonna say, Daddy, here's the deal. You're my dad. We're the clay. You're the potter. We're the work of your hand. So don't be exceedingly angry, O Lord. Don't remember our, our iniquity forever. Now remember, we're your people. Isn't that a, de- I mean, that's like this intimate whisper. Hey, remember, you made us. And we're your people. Remember Mount Sinai? Remember the covenant that you made with us? So you, so you bring that to God like a whisper to a lover. And it's interesting in this prayer, finally in the intimacy movement, it's the first time that Yahweh's name is mentioned. So what would it look like for you to walk through this Advent season praying desperate prayers? No edit button. Maybe that's a journaling. Maybe that's a phone call to a friend. Maybe that is praying it out with your voice. Maybe it's using your body. And then what if it really could move to an authentic sense of confession? Not to make yourself feel terrible about yourself, but actually to get free of some of those things that are already making you feel terrible. You know what I mean? So you name them in God's presence, and then you realize that God is not going to punish you for them, that God is merciful and God wants to forgive you, and that's the, that's the story. And then, what if you move to intimacy? Addressing God as your father, your mother, your parent to whom you belong, who won't forget you, and who will always search for you. What if that was our prayer during Advent? What if that movement was a model for how we can move through Advent? Amen.